Now, men in sin are never satisfied with sin. They become abandoned to sin. Now, this is what it means in Romans. God gave them up. You can reach the place, my friend, where you are an abandoned sinner. Now, verses 20 and 21. But ye did not thus learn Christ, if indeed him ye did hear, and in him were taught, even as in Jesus there is truth. And my friend, if you're not listening to Jesus, then he must not be your Savior. He's the shepherd. His sheep, he says, hears his voice. You haven't heard his voice. You just couldn't be a sheep, you see. Now, this is the picture of the Gentiles that we've seen. Now, here is the thing. What are they to do? They're to listen to Christ. They're to hear him. And other sheep are not to hear him. When an unsaved man writes me and says to me, I disagree with you. Fine, brother. I hope you don't agree with me. That's the entire picture, by the way. And this is the thing that we need to recognize, that the saved person looks to the Lord Jesus as his shepherd, lets him lead him, listens to him. And he is an example. Not that we can imitate him, because we can't. But he certainly has been the one that has been the pioneer that went through the doorway of death for us. And he's the one that when he walked down here, he is an example to look to. No reason for any believer being in the dark today. Now, Paul says at verse 22 through 24, that ye put off as regards your former manner of life, the old man, and that you're to put on, he says here, the new man. Now, it's actually like a garment. You put off the old, put on the new. And don't we call certain garments a habit? There's a riding habit, a walking habit. There is one for hiking, hunting habit, and playing golf, a habit for that, so that we have different habits. Now, the child of God is to put on as a garment the new man. Actually, what this means here, that it cannot be done by self-effort. After all, the babe in Christ can't dress himself. I found out that a child has to get very far along before he's able to dress himself. Then when he starts out, he doesn't do very well. We never reach the place where we can do that. Now, the old man, we're told, over in Romans, has been crucified in the death of Christ. And in view of this truth, then they were to put off in the power of the Holy Spirit the old man. This does not mean, friends, that they eliminate the flesh. We do not get rid of the old nature, but we're not to live in it. And I think any person today listening to me who's honest, you recognize you've got an old nature. Now, we're not to live in it, but we also have a new nature. We are to live in it. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit, as that's the great message of the 7th and 8th of Romans. And Paul is dealing with that here. And that we are to walk in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. That shows that this is the imputed righteousness of Christ. And this is all done consistent with the holy character of God. Since we've been declared righteous... And we are in Christ, seated up there, down here. Our walk should be commensurate with our position. Now, verse 25 through 27, 
And I'm reading now, as you've noted, my own translation in the book, Exploring Through Ephesians. Wherefore, having put away lying, speak ye truth, every one with his neighbor. For ye are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your indignation or your irritation. No longer give room to the devil. Now, Paul here returns to the prohibitions. He began in verse 17, where the believers told to walk no longer as the Gentile walk. Now, these injunctions continue through the remainder now of this epistle. These are the prohibitions. This is the power of negative thinking. Now, he's to speak the truth. And he's speaking the truth. Why? Because he's to put away lying. And when the old man was put off in the crucifixion of Christ, the lying tongue and the deceitful heart were put on the cross. That's the reason he had to die for us, is because you and I are lies. Remember, David said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. I remember hearing old Dr. W.I. Carroll years ago say, he said, you know, David said, all men are liars. But he said it in his haste. And Dr. Carroll says, you know, I've had a long time to think it over, and I still agree with David. Well, speaking the truth, you see, I think it resolved most of the problems in the average church. Long ago, I gave up the idea of trying to straighten out all of the lies that I'd hear in the church. I started out, I'd follow it down, and I found out, friends, that you spend all your time doing that. Now, since believers are member of one body, they should speak the truth. Here's the thing that Chrysostom said, and it's a ridiculous analogy, but it certainly illustrates the truth. I'm reading now from Chrysostom. Let not the eye lie to the foot, nor the foot to the eye. If there be a deep pit, and its mouth covered with reeds, shall present to the eye the appearance of solid ground. Will not the eye use the foot to ascertain whether it's hollow underneath or whether it is firm and resists? Will the foot tell a lie and not the truth as it is? And what again, if the eye were to spy a serpent or a wild beast, will it lie to the foot? I know, my friend, like the fellow that said he saw a ghost at night. Well, the eye told him he saw something, and he said to his feet, feet, don't get in my way. <laughs> I'm ready to go. And so he started out. Feet didn't let him down, you see, because they don't deceive one another. The eye won't deceive the foot and in the church. There ought to be honesty and truth. And he says, be angry and sin not. Now, the believers commanded to be angry with certain conditions and with certain people. You know, this idea today that a Christian is one who's a blah, that he's sweet under all circumstances and conditions. My friend, will you hear me carefully? No believer can be neutral in the battle of truth. We should hate the lying and the gossiping tongue. And when we hear that in another Christian, we should hate that thing. Now, we should not hate or loathe a person with an innate hatred or, as Peter calls it, malice. He says that malice 
is something that should not be in the life of the believer. Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, he says, and as newborn babes, we should desire the sincere milk of the Word. Malice, as someone has said, is congealed anger. Can't give it up. A great many people have certain hang-ups. They hate certain people. They can't get over it, they say. I can't forgive. Well, we should forgive and forget if the person is willing to give up their line. And you find that the Word of God has a great deal to say about this. This idea that we're to be sort of a milk toast individual. You remember the Lord Jesus, when he went into that temple, and there was that man with the withered hand, and they had planted him there to see what he would do. Remember what Mark says in Mark 3, 5? And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he hated that thing. And he was angry with that thing. My friend, we're told that God is angry all day long with the wicked, but the minute they'll give it up, turn to him, he'll save them, of course. Now, that should be our attitude, by the way, the attitude of a believer. I heard of a custodian in a church. It was a church that had had a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, a lot of bitterness and hatred in the church, and a lot of little cliques, a lot of little groups. And they'd had one pastor after another. The custodian, though, had been there for years. And someone one day who visited the church who knew about the church said, how is it that you've been able to stay here so long under the circumstances well, he says, you know, I just gets into neutral and lets them push me around. My friend, a great many people think that's being the Christian, to do that. No Christian can be neutral. We're in a great battle, as we're going to see in this epistle here. Now, verse 28 and 29. Let the stealer steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands that which is good that he may have to give to him who hath need. Let no filthy speech come out of your mouth, but if any is good for the building up, as the need may be, that it may give grace unto the hearers. Now, man by his sinful nature is a thief, and he's a liar. And it's natural to be that way. May I say to you, when I was a boy, we always, during the year, a bunch of boys a gang that I ran with, and they were mean. I'll tell you very frankly, they were mean. As I've often said, I was the only good boy in the crowd. But you know, we used to go and steal watermelons during the watermelon season. And I'm of the opinion the owner might have given us one, but they tasted better if we swiped them. And then we'd steal peaches and apples out of orchards. I tell you, wasn't anything safe. And we'd steal eggs and take them down during the winter time to the old Buzzard Creek, and we would roast them and then hunt rabbits. And just naturally a thief, by the way. Then I was converted, and I haven't held up a bank or a market or anything like that. But I was riding here several years ago down a certain highway on a country road, in fact, going to see a man. And he had a marvelous, wonderful watermelon patch. And you know my temptation? I actually stopped. I got out of the car. I thought, I think I'll go over and get me a watermelon. Then I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm going to see the man. 
He'll give me one. And there's no reason for me to do this. And I got back in the car and drove on. But you know, I almost went in his patch and took one without being asked. And I told him my experience. And he laughed and he said, you know, I might have shot you if you'd gone that watermelon patch. He said, I've had a lot in there stealing my watermelons and they're pretty valuable today. So it's in our hearts, friends. We're just naturally that way. Now, Paul says that we're not to steal anymore, even when it may look like it's all right. And he's not to get rich for his own selfish ends, but he's to help others, you see, with whatever he has that's surplus. Today, there are many fine Christian ministries that lag and wilt for lack of fun. Why? Because a lot of God's children are not given as they should give. That's quite evident. Then he mentions filthy speech. And it means that which is rotten or putrid. An uncontrolled tongue in the mouth of a believer is an index to a corrupt life. Believers who use the shady, a questionable story, they reveal a heart of wickedness. Because you know what's in the well of the heart will eventually come up through the bucket of the mouth. And the speech of the believer should be on the high plane of instructing and communicating encouragement to other believers. You can have fun and enjoy life. Humor's all right, but gracious, to deal with that which is dirty and filthy today.